So my parents were here visiting this week, which kind of was funny because my dad was telling me a, a story that kind of really fits with this passage somewhat. So um, my dad has this guy that he works with where they, they like to have, him, him and his friends at work like to have religious discussions, and there's this guy that he works with that used to be Catholic but is now an atheist. And my dad asked him, you know, what, what happened? What was it that caused you to go from this point to this point? And he said, I read the Bible for myself. And he said, I realized that if Christians really believed what the Bible said, you all would be walking around with your eyes cut out because that's what the Bible tells you to do if it would stop you from sinning. And so we see that his re- really his claim is he's an atheist because of the hypocrisy of Christianity, that we really don't take things literally. But what we also see here is that this guy has a faulty interpretation method of the Bible. While Jesus does use extremes such as cut out your eyes to paint a picture for us on, on how urgently we should flee from sin, there's other times like Today's passage, or we saw it also with Nicodemus, where Jesus uses a physical reality to point to something spiritual, and when the person hearing it interprets it literally, Jesus says, you missed it. Right? So there is this element in the Bible where sometimes if you take things completely literally, you miss it. It's meant to point to something bigger and even better than that. And that's what we're going to see this morning. We see this Samaritan woman come to the well, and Jesus used this well, this water, as a physical reality to point her to something greater. But we see along the way she starts to take some of the things literally, and she actually misses the point. But let me set the context here real quick. It's been a while since we've been in John. We saw in the last part of chapter 3, we saw Nicodemus in the first part. In the last part, we see John the Baptist has his disciples come to him and say, this Jesus is gaining a bigger following than you. Aren't you worried? And he, we see John the Baptist launch into this whole truth-telling of who this Jesus is, right? He is the one who is from above, Right, And so really, he's not worried about this. He wants Jesus to be elevated. He wants Jesus to be given the praise and the glory and to gain the following. And then we see that is used by John, the author, the disciple, to say to go into a whole other thing of saying, you know, you must trust in Jesus to have eternal life. You must believe in him for eternal life. Otherwise, the wrath of God remains on you. The whole thing of John the Baptist was, you remember, he must increase and I must decrease. Now we're going to see what happens as a result of Jesus gaining these followers. We see that because of this, Jesus ends up departing where he's at and going to another place where there is a divine appointment waiting for him. Right? There is this one woman that he is going to have a conversation with that is going to change the whole area of Samaria. Everyone is changed because of this. Not that everyone believes, but everyone is changed because of this one encounter of the Samaritan woman at the well. So we're in John chapter 4, starting in verse 1. It says... Now when Jesus learned that the Pharisees had heard that Jesus was making and baptizing more disciples than John, although Jesus himself did not baptize but only his disciples, 
he left Judea and departed again for Galilee. And he had to pass through Samaria. So he came to a town of Samaria called Sychar, near the field that Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Joseph's well was there, so Jesus, wearied as he was from his journey, was sitting beside the well. It was about the sixth hour. A woman from Samaria came to draw water. Jesus said to her, Give me a drink. For his disciples had gone away into the city to buy food. The Samaritan woman said to him, How is it that you, a Jew... Ask for a drink from me, a Samaritan woman. For Jews have no dealings with Samaritans. Jesus answered her, If you knew the gift of God and who it is that is saying to you, Give me a drink, you would have asked him, and he would have given you living water. The woman said to him, Sir, you have nothing to draw water with, and the well is deep. Where do you get that living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob? He gave us the well and drank from it himself, as did his sons and his livestock. Jesus said to her, Everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks of the water that I will give him will never be thirsty again. The water that I will give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. The woman said to him, Sir, give me this water so that I will not be thirsty or have to come here to draw water. Jesus said to her, Go, call your husband and come here. This woman answered him, I have no husband. Jesus said to her, You are right in saying, I have no husband. For you have had five husbands. And the one you now have is not your husband. What you have said is true. The woman said to him, Sir, I perceive that you are a prophet. Our fathers worshipped on this mountain, but you say that in Jerusalem is the place where people ought to worship. Jesus said to her, Woman, believe me, the hour is coming when neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem will you worship the Father. You will worship what you do not, you worship what you do not know. We worship what we know, for salvation is from the Jews. But the hour is coming, and now is here, when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth, for the Father is seeking such people to worship Him. God is spirit. And those who worship him must worship in spirit and truth. The woman said to him, I know that the Messiah is coming, he who is called Christ. When he comes, he will tell us all things. Jesus said to her, I who speak to you am he. Just then his disciples came back. They marveled that he was talking with a woman, but no one said, What what do you seek or why are you talking with her? So the woman left her water jar and went away into the town and said to the people, Come see a man who told me all that I ever did. Can this be the Christ? They went out of the town and were coming to him. So let's set the scene real quick, right? The first six verses kind of set up the whole story with the Samaritan woman. Just like John the Baptist's disciples saw Jesus gaining a following, the Pharisees started to see this, right? Though Jesus isn't even the one baptizing, his disciples are. It's not Jesus' hour yet, right? We see this phrase kind of show up. We see this mentality show up of, of Jesus is still somewhat keeping his ministry hidden to some degree because his hour of being crucified has not yet come. Right? So his disciples are the only one baptizing. And even when the Pharisees hear about the, the following Jesus is gaining, Jesus says, let's depart. We're going to leave now. We're going to go to another area. We're going to head to Galilee. But on their way to Galilee, we come across verse 4. And he had to pass through Samaria. 
The Greek of this actually says, it was necessary to pass through Samaria. That word had there is emphasized in the original language. It was necessary for them to pass through. Now, John could have said this to just say, he could have just said, well, it was the normal route to go through Samaria, but John is saying it was absolutely necessary for Jesus to go through Samaria, not just because the route went through Samaria, but because there was a divine appointment waiting for him there. We see Jesus take a rest at Jacob's well. Why? Because Jesus is weary. Jesus is human. Jesus gets tired. Jesus gets thirsty. But later we find he also sent his disciples away to get food because there's this divine appointment waiting for him. Jesus decides to rest at a specific well at a specific moment, right? It says it was about the sixth hour, which is noon, which in this culture, nobody goes to get water at noon. It's the hottest part of the day. You either go first in the morning or at the end of the day. You don't go in the hottest part of the day to go get water, but this woman does. Why? Because she's shamed by the rest of her culture. Nobody wants to walk with her to go get water, so she goes at the only time she can go alone. And it just so happens that at that exact moment is the moment Jesus sits at the well to rest. Jesus is going to use this private moment, just him and her, to unveil to this woman her spirit. Right? The title of this sermon is A Samaritan's Spirit. He reveals to her what is going on in her spirit so that he can then reveal who he is. Until she realizes what's going on inside of her, she can't realize her need for him. So we see three elements of this. First, Jesus tells her she has a thirsty spirit. Right, Verse 7, we can already see what's starting to happen here. Verse 7, a woman from Samaria came to draw water. Jesus said to her, give me a drink. We already know the clash that's about to happen, right? Jesus, a Jewish man, a rabbi even, communicating with a Samaritan woman, right? Samaritans were the half-breeds of the Jewish people. Back in the Old Testament, the Samaritans were in their part, but they started to intermarry with other nations. They were half the half-Jewish people. They were completely unclean to the purebreds, right? These full Jewish people, these people were unclean. They did not have dealings with each other, we find out. The next verses tell us. But we see Jesus ask her to give him a drink. Is Jesus thirsty? Is he weary? Yes. But this request for a drink is so much more than that. Because what we see here is Jesus using his own physical thirst. And just a few verses later, he flips it to remind the woman of her spiritual thirst. But we do see the clash arise, right? The clash here, verse 8. For his disciples had gone away into the city to buy food. So Jesus waits until his disciples are gone to communicate with her. And then, verse 9, the Samaritan woman said to him, How is it that you, a Jew, ask for a drink from me, a woman of Samaria? So Jesus knew the objections his disciples would have in talking with this woman. 
But even then, when he does talk to her just between her and him, she has objections. Right? We don't have dealings with each other. That's exactly what the next verse tells us. Right? Or the next part of verse 9. For Jews have no dealings with Samaritans. And so we see her objection to this. We see the distinction between Jesus and the woman, right? A Jewish man versus a Samaritan woman, right? In the culture, there was this class shift there. But do you see what else John is doing here? Maybe not, because it's been a while since we've been in John chapter 3. Who did Jesus have a conversation with in John chapter 3? Nicodemus. And who is Nicodemus? He's a Pharisee. He's a high religious leader. And what did Jesus tell him? You need to be born again. And now we have this lowly Samaritan woman who's unclean to the rest of her town. And what does Jesus tell her? You need living water. The reality is, regardless of what class you're a part of, the need is still the same. The woman needs born again. Nicodemus needed living water, if you want to flip it. Jesus is just using the reality in front of him to point to what they spiritually need. And we see Jesus flip this on her as we get into verse 10. Jesus answered her, If you knew the gift of God and who it is that is saying to you, Give me a drink, you would have asked him, and he would have given you living water. Jesus is saying, If you knew who I was, you'd be asking me for a drink. And not only would you ask, but you would receive living water. This isn't just any kind of water. This is living water that he's offering. Now the question is, what does he mean by living water? What does this really have to do with the story other than the fact that they're at a well? But if you know, like Jesus did, if you know your Old Testament, Jesus is referring to something here. Verse should pop up. Jeremiah 17, verse 13. O Lord, the hope of Israel, all who forsake you shall be put to shame. Those who turn away from you shall be written in the earth, for they have forsaken the Lord, the fountain of living water. So when people walk away from God, they're walking away from living water because they're walking away from the fountain of living water. So when Jesus says living water here, there's some Old Testament context flowing into this that when Jesus says living water, he's saying you're getting a relationship with God when you drink this water. Right? When you partake of this living water, you get to be in relationship with the one that he was, Jeremiah was warning about the people forsaking. Now, the woman probably wouldn't have understood this. Because a Samaritan, as a half-Jew, the Samaritan's religion was they only believed the first five books of the Old Testament were legit. Right? All the way, just up through Deuteronomy. So, all these prophets, all these historical books, they wouldn't have held to a scripture. So, she probably wouldn't got the Jeremiah reference. But Jesus knows it. Jesus is the one who says it. Jesus is the one who's offering it. And so he's pointing to water that comes from God himself. Jesus tells her, you need to drink. I just asked you for a drink. You're really the one who needs to drink. You're the one who's 
thirsty. But she misses it. Why? Because she takes it literally. Look at the next verse. The woman said to him, Sir, you have nothing to draw water with. You don't have a bucket, and the well is deep. You can't get it by hand. Where do you get this living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob? He gave us that. He, he gave us the well and drank from it himself, as did his sons and his livestock. So she's saying, you have nothing to get water with. You can't get water from this well with, with your hand. It's too deep to do that. So that means you're saying you're getting water from somewhere else. Are you saying that your well is better than our father Jacob's well? Because remember who Jacob is, right? Jacob is one of the fathers of Israel. Actually, the name Israel comes from Jacob, right? Jacob's name in the Old Testament was changed to Israel. The whole nation gets its name from this guy. And now you have someone saying, I have water better than that. And she's like, where are you getting this from? Because it sure doesn't look like you're getting it from here. But then Jesus sees that she's missing the point yet again. So he goes on to give another explanation. Verse 13. Jesus said to her, Everyone who drinks of this water, Jacob's water, will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks of the water that I will give him will never be thirsty again. tells her that if she drinks the water that he is offering, she will never be thirsty again. And he's not talking physically, though that's where her mind is thinking. He's trying to point her to the reality that she has an emotional, a spiritual thirst in her. And she does. Put yourself in the woman's shoes for a moment, right? She is physically thirsty, first of all, right? She just walked from the town to the well at high noon. So she's obviously physically thirsty, but she's also emotionally, spiritually thirsty. She's dying to have something quench her spiritual thirst in life. She's shamed by everyone around her. She's unclean to the Jewish people just for being a Samaritan, let alone the fact that she's a woman in this society, let alone the fact that she has had five husbands in this society. Right? Those relationships have really put the scarlet letter A on her. She's been mistreated by a number of men. How thirsty is she? How much is she dying to have something just quench her and give her some sort of release from that thirst. When Jesus offers her that she will never be thirsty again, he knows how desperate she is. And he even expands on that, right? He doesn't just say, you'll never be thirsty again, but he goes even one step further and says... The water that I will give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. He's saying you can have your thirst quenched now and a promise for life eternal. Right? So now Jesus has a promise for here and now and a promise for the future to come. So he expands on this with this promise of what this living water is going to give her. 
It's something a Samaritan woman, especially with her reputation, would have never thought she would be able to have. Eternal life. But guess what? She still misses it. She's still only thinking in the physical realm. Look at verse 15. The woman said to him, Sir, give me this water so that I will not be thirsty or have to come here to draw waters. There's two reasons she wants it. So I don't, I don't ever get physically thirsty again, so I don't have to come back here ever again to draw water again. She's still thinking only in the physical realm. She's missing her spiritual thirst. She's blinded to what Jesus is offering her, even though she has a severe need for it. But that's what Jesus is trying to do with her here, right? He's trying to say, you can't understand who I am and the significance of that until you first understand what you need. You can't, under, you can't understand me until you understand your own thirsty spirit. He wants her to know who he is, but it lacks importance to her if she misses her own need for him. So Jesus is using this request for a drink to flip it and try to show her her own thirst. I think of Albert in this as an illustration. We've been dealing with his whole skin situation, right? And the eczema and trying to figure out food allergies and that sort of thing. But if I went to the first doctor and the doctor saw eczema and said, just put lotion on it. And we started doing that, and it didn't solve anything. It just continued to stay. But now we go to a second doctor who says it could be one of these four types of foods that his body's really attacking a protein in it or something, thinking that it's a virus or something it needs to kill. So that's then making his skin do this. So yes, lotion it and try to keep it in good shape, but also try to eliminate whatever food it might be that the body's attacking, and that will help solve the issue. There's an internal problem that that doctor is addressing. Jesus could have just given, been the first doctor, right? Jesus could just have said, here, let me give you some water. Jesus could have given her physical water that would make her never thirst again. As creator of the universe, he could have conjured that up and given it to her. But Jesus says, your need is so much greater than that. And Jesus says, I am so much greater than that. I satisfy a need so much better than just a physical thirst. Brothers and sisters, I can promise you this. Your walk with Jesus will be limited or non-existent if you don't first realize your own thirst. Jesus is pointing out a reality to this woman that we all have. Now, it plays out in a number of ways. Right? This woman's plays out in all of her past relationships. But you must recognize, admit, and seek to identify the reality of this thirst in your own life. Because it's an internal reality that affects how you live every single day. All of us are pursuing after something. All of us think something is going to quench our thirst. But many of us don't take the time to contemplate these deep parts of our spirit. You may say that you're pursuing after providing for your family or having a good education for your kids or having good friends, but that's only surface level. Your spirit is thirsty for something. You're trying to have your thirst quenched. 
This is why we see so many people get obsessed with certain things in our culture, right? Have you ever met somebody that can't seem to just get enough money in their bank account, right? No matter what, no matter how much they have, they have to get a little bit more. They have a thirst they're trying to quench with something that can't quench it. Or yet, have you ever seen someone who just can't stay off their phone, right? They have a thirst that they're trying to quench, but they just can't. They think they've found something, but they always need just a little bit more. But then we have the flip of this where Jesus says, you drink this water, never thirst again. Because in the end, none of these things in our world quench our thirst. And it's actually sin to expect anything to quench your thirst that's not Jesus. Which is where we go to the next part. Jesus now tells this woman of her sinful spirit. He goes from her thirsty spirit to her sinful spirit. There's this abrupt shift in the conversation, right? The woman says, give me this water so I'm not physically thirsty, so I don't have to come back to the well. And what does Jesus say? Verse 16. Jesus said to her, go call your husband and come here. That's odd. She just said, give me this water, and Jesus says, go get your husband. Why would that be a requirement in order for me to get this water? What Jesus is doing is he's realizing she's not getting it with the first metaphor, right? She's not realizing her own spiritual thirst, so he says, okay, fine, let's narrow in on your sin then. Let's narrow in on where you've tried to quench your thirst so far in life. If she hasn't understood this spiritual thirst yet, we can imagine the pit that drops in her stomach the moment Jesus says, Husband. And look at her response, verse 17. The woman answered him, I have no husband. Which is technically true. But she leaves out a lot of details, right? She's technically right. But why would she want to tell him the details? This is a Jewish man. He already probably judges her, she thinks. Why would I tell him my past relationship history? How much more judgment is that going to bring upon me from him? But then Jesus shocks her, right? Verse, the second part of verse 17. You're right in saying I have no husband. Verse 18. For you have had five husbands... And the one you now have is not your husband. What you have said is true. Jesus says, I know there's more to the story. See what Jesus is doing here. He's unveiling to her. He's like, I already know the thirst that you have. I already know the sin that's in your life. He's not using thirst language anymore, but that's what he's referring to really, right? He's, He's referring to her spirit and what's going on inside of her. He's not just saying, okay, externally you've had five husbands. He's saying the the need for water has always been there. And I'm trying to coax that out of you for you to understand you've been trying to have it quenched in all sorts of relationships. She's pursued quenching her thirst man after man after man. Jesus isn't pointing her sin out to her in order to condemn her. But he can't save her unless she realizes her need to be saved. So she goes on to admit 
this knowledge that Jesus has just made known. Verse 19. The woman said to him, Sir, I perceive that you are a prophet. Obviously, she's still missing who Jesus is, right? But she's progressed. First, it was, you're a Jewish man talking to a Samaritan woman. Now it's a, you're a prophet speaking to me. Right? She's progressing and starting to see more and more of the picture of who Jesus is. Though she's not there yet. But at least she's starting to understand that this is no ordinary man standing in front of me. This is a man who already knows all the depths of my sin. But she's been trying to quench her thirst in all sorts of sinful ways. And there's only one way to quench that thirst. I think I've built more furniture in the last three years than in the rest of my life combined. Once you start having kids, right, it just becomes like a regular thing where you have to buy something and build it for them. And all of the kids' furniture is built with what? Those hex bolts, right? What would happen if they sent you the hex bolts but then sent you the wrong size of hex wrench to tighten them with? You'd have two choices, right? Either go to your toolbox, because you probably got like six sets laying around somewhere, or you got to go to the store and buy the right one. Right? Those are about your only two options. Because in order for that piece to be put together properly, there's only one size of wrench that will work. In order for your thirst to be quenched, there's only one kind of water that will work. Brothers and sisters, may we learn our lesson from this woman. To seek to quench your thirst by anything other than Jesus is sin. Jesus doesn't really want the husband. He wants the woman to realize she sought it it all in the wrong way up until this point in her life. So if you attempt to quench your thirst... You're longing by having your house paid off, by filling your retirement account, by the success of your children, by getting praise from other people, by having lots of vacations, or even by feeling loved by your closest family members. Not that any of those are bad things, but if you try to have your thirst quenched by those things, all of them will fail you. You'll always be thirsty at the end of the day wanting more. There's only one answer to your thirst. Trusting in Christ, who reconciles you to the God that you were once hostile towards. That is eternal satisfaction. Because once your thirst is quenched by Christ, nothing else looks the same as it once did. All of these other things that you once thought would quench your thirst now don't seem nearly as meaningful. They can't compare with the fact that now you have your thirst quenched and will never be thirsty again. And it is in this hope presented to the woman of being able to be in right relationship with God and being able to worship God that this woman sees her spirit actually change. Which brings us to the last one, a worshiping spirit. Now the woman changes the subject, right? Jesus told just revealed to her he knows she's had five husbands. 
she says, I perceive you're a prophet. We would expect the conversation to continue about her husband's and her sin, right? But she changes the subject. Now there's a debate here, and I'm not going to try, because I'm not entirely sure which one I agree with yet. There's a debate why she changes the subject. There's the debate of one side, she doesn't want to talk about her sin anymore. So she tries to shift it to something else. But on the other side, there's the fact that she just said, you're a prophet. So she's starting to realize, this guy knows things that I have no idea about. So she starts to ask him questions about what it means to really worship God. Because the Jews and Samaritans worshipped so differently. Right? So she's either genuinely interested, or she's trying to get away from her sin. Either way, she changes the subject. And Jesus uses that change of subject to speak into her spirit, and really ultimately see her spirit resurrected and changed. Verse 20. Our fathers worshipped on this mountain, but you say that in Jerusalem is the place where people ought to worship. Right? There's a debate between the Jews and the Samaritans. Where is the correct place to worship? There's a mountain in Samaria or there's Jerusalem for the Jews. But Jesus reveals something to her saying, neither are significant. Look at what he says. Verse 21. Jesus said to her, Woman, believe me, the hour is coming when neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem will you worship the Father. You will worship what you, you worship what you do not know. We worship what we know, for salvation is from the Jews. But the hour is coming and is now here when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. For the Father is seeking such people to worship him. God is spirit, and those who worship him must worship in spirit and truth. Jesus makes one little point here, theologically, right? He says, salvation is from the Jews. He's reminding this woman, the Jews are right about the Old Testament, by the way, right? That's what he's saying, is that old, the prophets, the historical books, those all are God's word. Salvation is coming through the line of the Jews. But that's the only point he makes about the Jewish people, right? The rest of it is, your mountain in Samaria and the temple in Jerusalem are both insignificant, They're both coming to an end. There's a day coming, and actually the important thing, right? Verse 23, the hour is coming and is now here. Jesus is saying, those locations, you having to go to a certain place to worship, not only will come to an end, that end is coming now. The entrance of Jesus is the end. And he says, there's a day coming, there's an hour that's even now here, when you don't have to worship there, but you can worship in spirit and in truth. God is seeking true worshipers, and true worshipers worship in spirit and in truth. First of all, spirit, right? Jesus is saying that true worshipers have an internal aspect to their worship. Right? That's the whole point of the conversation with this woman up until this point. Jesus is leading her to recognize her internal need, the sin within her, so that she can have an internal renewal, an internal resurrection, so that she can worship in spirit. But it's not just in spirit, it's in spirit and in truth, because it cannot be just some sort of feeling you have inside of you. Right? We, have, we live in a world where it's all about how you feel. And if you feel it, it must be right. 
Jesus saying that's, that's just by the Spirit, but it's in spirit and in truth. You see, because our spirit has to be guided by the objective truth that God has revealed to us. The truth of who Jesus is, the truth of who God is, which is told to us by Scripture, told to us by Jesus himself here. We see this dramatic shift starting to happen here. Right, verse 24. God is spirit. And those who worship him, you see that next word, must. It's the same word that we saw at the beginning when it said he had to pass through Samaria. It was necessary. God is spirit and those who worship him, it is necessary for them to worship in spirit and in truth. They must do it. True worshipers worship internally and they worship guided, bound by God's word. True worship must have spirit and truth going on in it. What great news for the woman. Imagine being this woman, right? And she just hears the news. You don't have to worry about being ashamed at the temple anymore or on your mountain worshiping. You don't have to worry about, can you offer enough sacrifices within the altar in order to appease God? There's a moment coming and is now here where you can be a true worship of the Father and do it in your spirit and by the truth of what I am telling you, right, as Jesus speaks to her. This leads her her to a conclusion. This man's more than just a prophet, right? She's starting to realize this. Enough that she mentions something in verse 25. The woman said to him, I know that Messiah is coming, he who is called Christ. When he comes, he will tell us all things. Some people might look at this and think she's contrasting against Jesus, right? Well, you sound like you know a lot, but there's a day coming when there's a Messiah coming that's going to tell us everything. I think it's more than that. I think she's hinting at a question at Jesus here. She said, you're a Jewish man. Okay, now you're a prophet. Okay, now you're telling me there's a new day coming where worship is entirely changed. There's this guy, a Messiah I've heard about, that's supposed to reveal all of this stuff to us. Right? So she mentions this idea of this Messiah, of this Christ that is coming. And clearly, Jesus answers the question implied here. Verse 26. Jesus said to her, I who speak to you. And he, Jesus says, I am the one bringing this new way of worship into the world. And then you notice the woman's response. Verse 27, just then his disciples came back. They marveled that he was talking with a woman, but no one said, what do you seek or why are you talking with her? So the woman left her water jar And went away into the town and said to the people, Come, see a man who told me all that I ever did. Can this be the Christ? They went out of the town and were coming to him. She leaves her water jar, right? The one thing used to quench her thirst. And then goes and tells everybody that this man has revealed everything about her. We have to conclude by this woman's response that she has been renewed. That her spirit has been resurrected. That she now is worshiping in spirit and in truth. Her faith is in Christ. 
So the college football playoffs were this weekend, right? First round of them. Being from Ohio, I can't tell you how much my Facebook feed blew up when Ohio State won, unfortunately. It's because fans, true fans of a team, right, feel satisfied by a team's win. In a sense, there's worship given to a team when they satisfy you. For a whole lot of people, people, the rest of their spring and summer was determined by whether their team was going to win or lose this weekend. They were thirsty, looking to have their thirst quenched by a win by their favorite sports team. It's not hard to see this reality in sports or in anything else in life. What people seek to quench their thirst is what they end up worshiping. So brothers and sisters, a thirsty spirit quenched by Christ should ultimately end up being a spirit that worships Christ. You can claim Jesus all day and night. But whatever you seek to quench your spirit is what's going to get your worship. What you give honor to, what you elevate to being of utmost importance, what you give your attention to, what you dwell on, what you spend money on, what you take time off of work to do, what you teach your kids, the way you speak to other people, all of it displays in your life what you're worshiping. So would those looking on the outside in at your life determine that your life is one that is worshiping Jesus? Because your life is one that has been so quenched, your thirst has been quenched by Jesus to the point that your spirit bursts with worship for Jesus. If you haven't trusted in Christ this morning, I want to make a promise to you. You can never be thirsty again. That's available to you. What happens is Jesus goes to the cross paying for your sin in all the ways that you have failed to worship him, in all the ways that you failed to seek after him to quench your thirst. All so that when Jesus rises three days later, you get to share in that resurrection. Your spirit is resurrected as you place your faith in Jesus. So I invite you this morning to trust in Jesus, to have your thirst quenched by him so that you might worship him. But if you are walking with Jesus, if you have put your faith in him, we still have to admit, this side of heaven's never perfect. We all have areas in our own life where our spirit tends to seek to be quenched elsewhere. Right? Uh, it will happen until the day that we die. We'll never be perfect at it, but true worshipers of the Father, people who have truly trusted in Jesus, have a progression to this. They seek each and every day to be more quenched by Him. Right? Though we'll never be perfect at it, there's a motivation to be more quenched by Him each day. So I appeal to you this morning as we finish our time, realize your thirst cannot be quenched by anything else. Turn to Jesus. Drink the living water. And as you go throughout your life, let that living water well up inside of you 
until you get to experience eternal life. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that this passage is included in this gospel for us. It's often good for us to hear our own spiritual need that maybe we've recognized before, but it it puts it in new terms of us being thirsty and trying to quench our thirst. Father, may we realize that to seek to have our thirst quenched by anything other than you is going to end up in futility. That we will never be satisfied. We're always going to be left wanting more until we realize and come to you and have you quench our thirst. So I ask you this morning that you would work in our hearts. Help us to, not just today, but as we go throughout the year of 2021, may we seek more and more to have our thirst quenched by you. And as a result of that, may we worship you. May our spirits within us be resurrected to worship you with not just our minds, but with the the depths of who we are, with our affections and everything inside of us actually thirsts to be with you. But also that we would worship by truth. That we wouldn't just go about by our feelings, but we would be bound to your word that we would worship you more and more as we grow in our understanding by your word of who you are and who Jesus is. So do that in us this week. Make us thirsty for you and have us have our thirst quenched by you that we might worship you. We ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen.